Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns, he shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Pick and Pod. Along with Chris Persianen and Miles Grossman, I'm Colin Lochran. Happy to be with you, breaking down everything happening across the association. Gentlemen, great to be with you. Chris, how's your day rolling? It's been chaotic so far. Um, I won't get into the details of it. Um, You know, got home late last night from a a Knicks beat report, recorded a one-hour, 40-minute podcast episode immediately after, (laughs) passed out, woke up this morning, finding the glasses was a whole situation. (laughs) Now I'm doing what I need to be doing where I need to be doing it, which is talking NBA basketball. (laughs) Probably my favorite thing to do in the world here in the comforts of our wonderful studios at WFUV. It's the place to be. It's the thing to do. I love it. I love being here with you guys, so I couldn't be happier. This is a trio, I think, designed to talk about today's topics, um, local, national, you name it. Miles, talk to me. I'm happy to be here as well. I think today's today's Friday. Always happy to be here on a Friday. George Santos got expelled this morning. I don't know if y'all saw it's that. It's a great day. It's, it's a big day. It's a day. great day to be an American. Day, exactly. <laughs> a lot of happenings. Speaking of those happenings, we'll start with a local topic. The New York Knicks took on the Detroit Pistons last night at Madison Square Garden. Chris, I know you were there. The Knicks did grab the win. They're now 11-7 and on the season. Was not a great win, Chris. I can see you grimacing over there. What were your general takeaways from that one? Because I looked at the box score. Two things stuck out to me. Inefficiency and just there wasn't enough of that team chemistry in terms of who did what. It was a lot of Brunson, because it had to be a lot of Brunson, a little bit of Randall, and then everyone else was kind of, eh, nothing really to write home about there in my mind. Colin, I think with that Knicks game last night, they played down to their competition. And all respect to the Detroit Pistons, and Tom Thibodeau is someone who very confidently will tell you any team in the league can beat any team in the league. There's only 400 jerseys, maybe a little more now with all the two-way contracts. I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of it. Um, I've already devoted too many seconds to it, right? But um, (laughs) the the fact of the matter is that when you're looking at someone like Cade Cunningham, he's a top 100 basketball player in the NBA. There's only 400 jerseys, so he's top 25% of the most elite group of basketball players in the world. That guy has a chance to beat you. You know, like that's just how it works. Cunningham, you know, a lot of discussion about the lack of spacing. Well, Killian Hayes looked really great in isolation last night. Quentin Grimes 0 for 5 from the field, another game where he struggled. I asked Jalen Brunson after the game what they can do to get Grimes going. He stressed that it's a long season, and that is is the kind of key here for the Knicks. I think Knicks fans upset with the win last night. You know, Randall. Um, 28 points, Brunson, 42 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, and Nick fans were rightfully upset with the team's play because they let the Pistons hang around the whole game. But it's a long season, and I think this is how you got to look at it, short and simple. 
It's an 82-game season. You won the game. You played with your food, but you cleaned the plate. Burn the tape. Move on. You've got a game tonight. Dial in. Miles' final score was 118-112. And to Chris's point of playing with your food yet still getting the job done, I can't remember a time in my lifetime where the Knicks fan could use that statement and be serious about it. Have we reached that point to where the regular season's about just getting it right before the postseason? I think there's no doubt progression in in that way. And I think what's probably most frustrating about this edition of of beating the Detroit Pistons is you take the first quarter 31 to 17 and then from that point forward you kind of play with your food and I think that's the perfect phrase you use Chris because that's exactly what they did they played down to their competition I think you know it's a good point that the way the NBA is structured it's supposed to be an even playing field you got talent on every team you got a Cade Cunningham who can give you 40 on any given night 31 in this case and Detroit has lost had lost 15 games yeah. coming into that game against the Knicks so obviously they're terrible but there's also a factor of like is this a trap game totally and I think the mo- yeah like I said the most frustrating part is once you dominate the first in that manner you go up 14 points they total 17 in the first you're supposed to coast to victory and that's kind of not something that you're going to take down the stretch the Knicks are not going to be able to do this in the next couple months this is going to be something that you think oh this can't happen come May you know from my eye this next season is very much going to be about can you figure out an offensive identity or maybe not even an identity, more of an offensive chemistry going forward. They have to get Quentin Grimes They have going. the identity. I do think they have Br- the identity. Brunson and Randall, I, I believe, are 12th and 15th in the league in drives per game. They're a ground-and-pound basketball team who sprays out. They drive or they drive and kick. R.J. Barrett has streamlined his game a lot. Last year, still getting some of those driving in, step back, pop from the mid-range. This year, only time he pops from the mid-range is if there's a big in drop coverage and he needs to do it. right? So he streamlined his offensive game. He's getting to the rim more. Thibodeau praised him for it just last night to reporters after the game. So um, Barrett, when he gets out in transition, really effective. Randall, a wrecking ball when he wants to get to the rim. Brunson can be really effective from everywhere. I, all right, there's... This is a little tangent, so I won't ask you guys to debate it with me, but I'll just <laughs> I'll just throw it out there. There's Desmond Bain, there's Buddy Heald, there's Steph Curry. Um, there's a couple guys that you have to say are, are like the best shooters in the NBA. I think Brunson's entering that top ten. Oh, Booker Durant, right? But Brunson's entering that like top eight conversation. I would say he should be in the three point contest this year. Interesting. About forty four percent from three when he won player of the, the month. When you say best shooter, you mean best distance shooter. He 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 makes them from everywhere. See, that's kind of what I would want to get into is that there are certain spots on the floor where I'm like, Brunson's the best shooter in the league from that, that spot, spot, right? And sideways with a guy <laughs> yeah. six inches taller than Maybe him. from that 16-foot range. Well, that's I think you're, you're getting to the cause of it, right? When you're so uh, short. <laughs> um, I was going <laughs> to <Hey> say. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> When you're vertically challenged, there you um, go. <laughs> you, if you want to be great, you need contested pull-up mid-range jumpers to be layups, right? And you look at the NBA nowadays. Uh, Jalen Suggs talked about how he took 400 shots a day in the offseason. He was proud of that. Mitchell Robinson talked about taking uh, 50 free throws after every practice and being proud of that. Gil Arenas used to make 1,000 shots a day. That was his workout. Jalen Brunson's that kind of guy, right? Why? Because he grew up with Rick Brunson. He grew up with Leon Rose and William Wesley. He grew up around NBA culture and with a father who is now a coach, was a player, was a Nick point guard. Like, uh, I just I think that when you ter- when you take a look at 
how Brunson's game works. It's so skilled. And it, like I feel like every shot he takes screams Crafty. a thousand makes. Yeah. You know, every time he makes a shot, you're like, he's made that a thousand times with his dad at 3 a.m. in a gym. <laughs> Where like it's weirdly dim, you know? There's no question that within the last year and change, Brunson has stratified his game to a new level. It's the three-point It's the three-point volume. volume that has changed a little bit for him. I think whenever him and Randall are going, it gives the Knicks a fighting chance. If you want to tell me that they're going to be able to take on teams like the Celtics, the Bucks, uh, a very good Miami team on a given night because we don't know what they're going to be by the end of the year, I... I you know, I have to stop myself before just simply dismissing the Heat anymore. How about, how about Jaime Jaquez Jr. being a, like a top exactly. five rookie this season? If, if the Knicks are going to take on those guys, it's going to come down to can you get what you need to get from Brunson and Randall and receive quality play from the likes of Barrett, DiVincenzo, quickly, all these guys. Can Mitch keep being what Mitch has been this year? That's I was going to say, he might be the, the biggest constant. I was going to talk about Mitchell Robinson. This man deserves his flowers. Right now, the Knicks are fourth in defensive rating. Mitchell Robinson is such a big part of that stat in particular. I was at the game a couple of nights ago, Knicks beat the Hornets, and Coach Thibbs talked about all these effort plays that Robinson makes. And then, no, he's not going to have a 40 point night. He's not going to grab you, you know, all these points. But he makes these plays from time to time where mm-hmm. it's the second effort, it's the third effort that inspires the rest of the unit. Can, can we have a conversation about the following statistics? So, all right, he, here's just I'm, – I'm just going to go, what do you say, like top six, seven, the top six or seven guys. So tied at 3.4 offensive rebounds per game is Jokic, Claxton, Aiton. With 3.6 offensive rebounds per game, Jalen Duran. 3.7, Rudy Gobert. 4.2 offensive rebounds a game for Mark Williams. 4.5 for Clint Capella. And number one, Mitchell Robinson, 5.8 offensive rebounds per game. It's 5.76 if you want to get into the nitty-gritty. It was 5.8 going into last night's game. He had f- only five last night <laughs> offensive rebounds, so now down to 5.76. You know, uh-oh. Um, but that's like a bull's championship era number like that's what they were doing <laughs> that's that's the last time that was achieved over a full season that's dumb like that's stupid like that's ridiculous that's ridiculous and i remember chris we used to talk about nick claxton versus mitchell robinson all the time about how and nba gms around the league would in your eyes prefer mitchell robinson which i do agree with at this point but i think in my eyes my issue with mitchell robinson would be just the consistency on the offensive end Claxton's i mean really good Claxton is really, in Claxton, I'd say, in my eyes, the better offensive center. I agree. But the the thing is with Mitchell Robinson is, you know, he's such a strong guy around the rim. If this guy became a little bit more of a consistent finisher or just maybe more of a force down low in that he was comfortable taking shots and he was more of like, you know, wanted the ball down there. You know, Mitchell Robinson doesn't strike me as someone who's, you know, an imposing guy on the offensive end. You know, we talk about the offensive rebounding numbers why not more putbacks out of Mitchell Robinson? You know what I mean? I think that's where he kind of still has the growth about creativity around the rim and then consistency, that aggression around the rim as well. Earlier in the season, I had pointed at Robinson as someone I'd like to see develop his offensive game by taking more shots, but I almost think he's added by subtraction in the sense that he takes less shots, Mm -hmm. but when he grabs offensive rebounds, he's actually adding shots to the Knicks' resume and getting Mm -hmm. guys like... 
Brunson, DiVincenzo, Hart, second opportunities. And Hart is such a big grabber magnet of offensive rebounds. Miles, do you know who has the single season record for field goal percentage in the NBA ever? Enlighten me. 74.19% on a shot diet of mm-hmm. putbacks, offensive rebounds, second chance points. Number two is Wilt Chamberlain. Wait, is, number, one number one is Mitchell Robinson. Is Mitchell Robinson, yeah. <laughs> His second season in yeah. the NBA. Yeah. On a shot diet of dunk, yeah. rebound, dunk, tough layup, miss. One of two from the free throw line. <laughs> um, he actually went two of two from the free throw line in a crucial spot last night. The Garden crowd loved mm-hmm. it. Uh, but the thing with Robinson, and I, I've been a detractor of his early on in his career because I felt like the three and a half fouls per game was not worth the highlight blocks. That was my take. I was like, I would prefer fewer blocks and fewer fouls. Keep the blocks in bounds, create transition offense for a team that struggles in the half court. I just thought he was undisciplined. The Knicks stuck by him, stood by him. Um, I can tell you guys they have sent an assistant coach to live with him over the summer and work out with him daily. That's something they did a couple years ago. Make sure he's getting supervised. It's a packed Mitchell Robinson apartment now. Um, see that? And now he lives <laughs> with a coach for a different reason. Yeah. Good guy, Mitch. You're right. No, I mean, you have to love that. High school coach. So let's talk about this because they, they talked about it. <laughs> I didn't mean to derail you. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Mitch Robinson, really great center. After Jokic, Embiid, Gobert, the, the top guys, he's debatably up there just because of how streamlined he can be and elite he can be in that streamlined role. Um, but Mitch Robinson lives with his high school coach now for the season. You, you hear about I this, Colin? Yeah, this. yeah. So uh, Butch, his name, Tom Thibodeau said after the game, they actually have some mutual friends. So he's, he's gotten to talk with him a couple times. Um, Brunson said, I asked Brunson about it. He was like, I knew about it. I didn't know that if they had, have they talked about it? You know, like, I don't want to just like talk about it if they haven't. <laughs> um, so it was, you know, kind of like a thing that the team doesn't know a whole lot about, but they're just aware that Mitch is a great guy for this. His high school coach's wife passed away. Before she passed away, Mitch visited her, visited her every day in the hospital. Um, and when she did pass away, Mitch said, you know, you helped me get where I'm at. You helped change my life. Uh, and the reason for that, actually, uh, a story was written about this years ago. This coach, Butch, saw Mitch at recess in oh. high school. And he was like, I need a center so bad. <laughs> Screw it. So every kid's backyard dream actually happens. Especially if you're seven foot. You know, if you're seven foot. And he yeah. gets this kid to start playing on his team. And now Mitchell Robinson got what? It was a $60 million deal, you know? Yeah. So Mitch was like, you helped change my life. I'm going to help do something for you. So now Butch came up, lives with Mitch. Their roommates for the rest of the season. It's gonna they're gonna be living together for the rest of the season. And Mitch just wanted him to come get his mind right, relax, and and be taken care of. You know, in in the wake of of a tragedy in his family. And also, I don't know if you've seen it. Mitch Robinson is pretty active on social media. In very. that very active on social media. And you know, if you look inside his apartment, he'll often you know either live stream things like that. It's a it's one of those classic you know lots of glass windows over overlooking the New York skyline. Well, be when funny. you're a Nick, you can afford these exactly. types of space. <laughs> but it's funny to imagine that there's just this extra bedroom, probably extra bathroom in there for his high school coach. Available. I'm sure he's got the room. He's got the room. I'm almost positive he's got the room for it. Definitely. <laughs> you guys know he has story. 19 dogs, right? 19 That's crazy. 19 dogs. So I think. Ten of them are in New Orleans, and nine of them are in New oh, York. Okay, I was gonna okay. say he had nineteen in a New yeah, York apartment. Exactly. Oh, no, no he doesn't. He doesn't live that in that dog walker bill. It's a uh, it's, it's house situation. Oh, okay. still overlooking. I mean, it had a pretty crazy view with a lot of glass. He in used, the, to, in he the used to live stream. in an apartment. Oh, okay, maybe it's an old video. Used to, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. um, 
that was a couple. Of, we can talk about it after. It was yeah. A couple of years ago. Um, but talk about the housing situation. Yeah, talk about, yeah. How is the market <laughs> in the Upper East Side right now? <laughs> it's not good. It's expensive. Pick and Pod sponsored by Zillow. We're here today. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, listen. I think the Knicks are really well positioned as a team, and and to put the bow on it, I do think they have a fighting chance against a team like Milwaukee in a playoff series. Thoughts? I think so. I think they match up well against Milwaukee in certain regards, the most paramount of them being teamwork. I don't know if Milwaukee's going to be able to have the chemistry they need to win a seven-game series in year one with this combination of Lillard and Giannis, and you don't know what Chris Middleton will be in that situation. You don't know if he will make it to that situation. I was going to say, he'll be, he'll be the number three option and uh, excellent at it. Um, I agree, he but needs you, to be available. you're assuming he's healthy then. Yeah. And then also the fact that, you know, early on, Milwaukee did not look like some superstar dominant team out the gate. They weren't well, rolling okay. over the team. No, of course that's okay, but it's like it is a good point that it is year one, mm-hmm. right? And that mm-hmm. the the cohesion the Knicks might have is, is you know, incomparable to a team like the Bucks now, in year one. Boston, I think, because Porzingis is such a kryptonite, like, for Mitch, um, that I think Boston matches up really well with New York, and I think Boston would would beat New York f- in five or six games. Uh, six if Brunson does another one of the no one has twenty points except for him with his fifty. <laughs> uh, but basically, that's how I see that playing out. I would see Boston beating the Knicks. I would see the Knicks beating Cleveland again. I would see the Knicks beating Indiana. I would see the Knicks beating Orlando. I would see the Knicks beating Miami this year. Um, but again, Miami in the playoffs is it can be a different animal, but the same beast, you know. So. I, I do think that they could also win in like five. <laughs> you know, everything's possible with Miami, like you were saying earlier. Uh, there's such a wild card, but there's like three or three teams that I think the Knicks like would probably not beat in the East. It's like the Celtics, the Heat, the Bucks, and I think they. Oh no, the Celtics, the Heat, and the Sixers. That's an interesting. Series. I think they could beat the Bucks. Um, the Sixers, I think Embiid is such a dominant force, and and how much better is Maxi than Quickly right now? I think that's a separate conversation. Um, but Brunson's definitely better than Maxi, so they the, the matchups there. Uh, I think Philly would win. Though. Well, as Miles knows from our conversations regarding Tyrese Maxi, I've been very high on his ability. So I don't know how the Knicks would fare against Philadelphia. I think it's definitely a conversation to be had. It's a long series. It's not a four or five game deal. I had Maxi at seven in that draft class, and watching him go in the twenties made me feel like I was like, what do I not get? What did I not get about him? Um, and I ended up being right. But I, I wanted pivot right now to somewhere where I was very wrong. I had this guy number 25 in his draft class, and at the start of the season, I said I, I didn't know if he would be a regular rotation mainstay for the team he's on. Let's let's hop on the four. <laughs> let's, go down to, let's go down to Barclays, Colin, if you don't mind. Of because Cam Thomas is making me look so stupid. <laughs> Cam Thomas is making me look like I've never watched a tip-off in my life. Cam, Cam Thomas is making me look like I don't understand that the point of the game is who has more points than the other team. <laughs> Allowing me to set the stage here, Brooklyn took on the Hornets last night, lost a heartbreaker, 129-128. Yes. Cam Thomas, as Chris perfectly set me up, did return. He missed some time due to injury. Put up 26 points Shocker. in that one. Additionally, Mikhail Bridges had 22. Claxton had 20 points. Mm. Dorian Finney-Smith with a nice 14. Cam Thomas is such an important part of this Nets team from a scoring perspective, but... He is kind of a chucker at times. Mm-hmm. There's this air of, I want to call it artistry, 
because sometimes the artist is crazy and doesn't play by the definite rules or within the structure that everyone else lives in. So and it works sometimes. It works sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes it looks really, really ugly, Miles. And with Cam Thomas, there's so many highs, and then there's so many lows all at once. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe that even in, you know, Chris, you talked about it, and I think it was our first episode back. It was. This guy is borderline not a rotation player on this Nets team, which I, of course, disagreed with. But you weren't all that out of line at the time. Jock Vaughn didn't see this guy as a, he's in my top six, seven spots in my rotation. That's where he started this year. And, of course, he balls out in the preseason. Of course, dismiss it as he got the opportunity, preseason. People aren't guarding him hard. It's preseason. And then, of course, how does he start the year, right? He's averaging like 30 a game, 26 a game, out the gate. Yep. And then, of course, you know, he has – he participates in the Nets curse, of course, turns his ankle, misses, I think, 22 days or something like that in the, in the month of November. But, you know, he's he's back, and he's an everyday starter in – the NBA, and I think he's not just a Brooklyn Nets everyday starter because we talked about him. You know, the Brooklyn Nets are obviously a nine seed at best, eight seed at absolute best. This is a non playoff team on the outside looking in, meaning you might have young guys like Cam Thomas right. in a larger role than they'd be on a Knicks team. Now, I'm not saying Cam Thomas is a starter on the Knicks, but he is. Uh, a starter on, I'd say, the vast majority of NBA teams. And for his age, that's pretty darn spectacular. The guy was born in 2001. I mean, he's still 22 years old. And we're talking about him like this is someone who has that offensive talent that he could drop 35-40 on any given night. It's pretty spectacular the uh, what Cam Thomas has turned into. And I think, you know, he's one of many Nets who has been hurt. And the, the Nets have been able to kind of – tread water spectacularly given the injuries and I think you know now that Cam Thomas is back they can be that over 500 ball club um, but there's no doubt about it Cam Thomas is going to end up getting a big deal he's going to get serious money I think Phoenix Cleveland Dallas Phoenix Cleveland Dallas the Clippers mm-hmm the Celtics? Everyone's going to be a suitor. That's those, those are about, no. Right? I'm saying those are teams that wouldn't start him. Oh, okay, okay, bet, bet, bet. So they're uh, Miami. They have Hero, so I, I think they would go with Hero because he's a, a better playmaker for others. Yeah, he kind of has that Cam Thomas scoring kick, but then a little better passing. But honestly, the scoring that Thomas brings is just as good as Hero's nowadays. I think Minnesota might this year. You'd probably say Thomas. Min- Minnesota might try to exactly. Minnesota might try to start Thomas. Um, Houston. Was where the conversation gets awesome to me because is Cam Thomas is he better than Jalen Green right now? It's a conversation. I think. Yes. Yeah. I mean, statistically speaking, <laughs> I think is, is the ceiling necessarily higher? I don't know. Sacramento, Golden State, maybe Thomas doesn't start. San Antonio, he starts. New York, he doesn't start. Portland, Simons, Sharp, Henderson. I don't think he starts. But um, you know, maybe like fifteen teams in the league he would start for. Like I, I don't know. I. I, I mild pushback on majority but like it's yeah. still a lot yeah <laughs> it's still it's still and a I, lot and think about That's that way change in the last two months i mean oh my Bingo. goodness unbelievable Bingo. so so the question for me and, and colin i want to throw this to you what what's your feeling on the on the nets future right because they don't have their own draft pick this year 
right now nine and nine on the year. This is kind of a throwaway season. I don't even want to mm-hmm. call it a rebuild season because they're not quite in a full blown rebuild. They're in this weird in between. Between it's, it's like a hold, which yeah. basically they were forced into. Uh, you know what, what happened last year between Irving and Durant and all totally. of that drama. So now you're in this situation where you're trying to make it work with what you have. You, I don't know if anyone is sold on Mikael Bridges being a true number one option. I know I'm not. I think he's a two on a decent team. I think he's a three on a championship team. Yeah. I think Cam Thomas has another layer to his game, but he doesn't crack being a top three player yet at this given time. I haven't seen anything to tell yeah. me otherwise. However, with this Nets team, the interesting component of it is that they have a lot of guys who do things really good and a number of things really good, but no one that does anything excellently. Yeah. And a coach that's kind of coming into his own, he really doesn't have a whole lot of experience other than last year. I'll give Jock Vaughn credit to do what he did last year, come into that situation. Hold down the fort. Have a different roster by the end of the year and still guide his team to a playoff series, which for what it's worth, that series against Philadelphia was closer than it appears now in retrospect. I know they got swept, but if you watch the games, there were moments where Brooklyn was making it close. They were putting up a fight. They were never going to win the series, yeah. but there were a couple times where I went, okay, there's something to this. Even in game four where they were ultimately knocked out, I saw a layer of fight that was encouraging. Yeah. So you look at this There was team, fight at the end. There was fight at the end. You're not, not in the beginning. You're not <laughs> winning a championship this year. I think you'll make the playoffs in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. I think it goes through the play-in for Brooklyn. But you need a lot to go right. You need Mikhail Bridges to really find his center. I don't think he's done that this year because there's a lot of pressure on him. He's not used to this type of responsibility. You look at the Phoenix teams that he was on. He had Devin Booker. He had a Chris Paul around him. There wasn't this idea of, Mikhail, you need to be the guy now. I would suspect that sometime after the All-Star break, he'll become more comfortable. That doesn't mean he's going to be perfect. I think you're going to have like a lot of those 10 of 23 shooting nights where it's a tad inefficient, but he puts up points on the board, and Brooklyn plays decent enough defense to win ball games against teams like Detroit, or maybe they steal one against a team like the Knicks when they have a rough night, or perhaps they upset a team like Philadelphia, and it serves as a big morale boost for them. I just feel like they have enough to get into the play-in. Whether or not they make the main tournament, completely different story. Going forward, it's clear they're going to need a rebuild at some point. The way they go about it is where it gets really interesting. Yeah, I, you know, the Nets were in a really difficult position this year. They were forced to rely on an, on an awkward core of borderline superstars. There were expectations surrounding Ben Simmons that this was going to be a turning point year, not only for his play, but for his attitude. I mean, I believed. I'll sit here and be the first one to say that he bamboozled me going into (laughs) this year. Like, I thought that Ben Simmons really wanted it this year. And, you know, I think when you think about the the way the Nets are kind of just in a chokehold with Ben Simmons, you know, Ben Simmons has become – so powerful in this situation in that you know you don't have to if you're a centimillionaire you're at the end of the day extremely powerful you don't have to do much for anyone when you have that kind of money and if you're going to sit back you know I don't think that he's lying about these injuries I think that he's doesn't have the urge to play basketball and the injuries have taken his urge to play basketball even further well, now the injury is a nerve impingement in yeah. his back. 
which sounds fairly serious. I mean, it's been the back issues for four years. All all injuries are serious to one extent or another, but you know, barring a paper cut or something like yeah. that that's borders on the ridiculous. But something like this, you look at it and you go, the, you're the not the Domingo Herman armpit. The Domingo Hernan story in general was was ridiculous. <laughs> Nerve impingement. I think about that. I go, that feels like career ending. Yeah, almost, almost Lonzo Ball esque. Because even if you come back from it, wouldn't you be worried about reaggravating it? It's almost like Derrick Rose, yeah. where when you go up to the hoop, he might not say it, but he's thinking there's a chance mm. that on my way down, it. I'm not going to be able to get back up. No, play, and that aspect has different. been so big for Ben Simmons. You know, you think about those moments against Philly where it was the, you know, under the basket, I'm not going to go up, where he's, like, mentally in his own head. He's stopping himself. Like, there's some sort of blockage. And, you know, of course, I think mental health coming off of injuries is a legitimate conversation. In the case of Ben Simmons, he's someone who, I don't know if you remember, but he sort of abused the mental health excuse and the contract holdout. So for, in my eyes, it's I, I'm just sick and tired of, of the injuries, and then I'm almost out of excuses for the guy that I'm I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. It feels like it's a distortion of injury that, you know, but that that's probably not giving enough credit. I just think that, you know, outside of Ben Simmons even, the, the Nets are in an awkward position of, like, they're a middling team, and they can't do much to get out of that immediately at all. And like you said, Colin, they were not – this is not the position they expected to be in this year. This was supposed to be year three of the superstar era. At least they'd hold on to one or two of them. And, you know, obviously that didn't work out in their favor, and I don't see that the Nets get beyond that nine seed in the next three, four years. And I think Cam Thomas, you know, to, to be cynical, let's be real, though – Cam Thomas is gone at the end of the 24-25 season, right? He's he's they have the club option for this year and next year, but there's no way Cam Thomas is going to want to stick around in Brooklyn even if he's I know he's restricted. But the young talent is want going to want to get the heck out of there. The aging superstars are going to be done in Royce O'Neal. The Nets are oh, in. Hold on. The, the, the super. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the aging the aging veterans, I want to say. Yeah. The aging reliable faces will be gone. The young talent will want to get out of there. The Nets aren't going to be anything more than a 500 ball club in the next five seasons. I think you have to trade Cam Thomas at some point. Yeah. Wow. Sooner I, rather I, than I don't later. Think... Just, just, just the salary cap is like barely even real. Just go over the cap and extend him. Just do it. I don't think you can build around him. What, what if you get he Donovan Mitchell? He doesn't want to be there, What though? if you get Donovan Mitchell in 2024? Five free agent? Oh no, twenty twenty four free agency. He's a free agent this summer, is it? I don't even know. I don't uh, know. I think it's twenty five. Anyway, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I think, yeah. He, I think he would go to Brooklyn. Yeah. So what if what if you start Mitchell, nope. Thomas, Bridges, <laughs> Finney Smith, Claxton? I don't know if there's anyone in the league who has wins. more built up frustration 42. towards their coaching staff and front office than Cam Thomas. Uh, but Cam now Thomas, he does, he's getting he's getting the play, so he's you know whatever. For, for better or for worse, he's he's playing. What is going on in the Center that everyone goes there and they're just immediately angry after like three days? <laughs> yeah. Cam Thomas is angry. KD's angry. Ky- Kyrie's they, they just go, an angry they guy. They get a morning coffee and it's nine dollars, and it, they're like, all right, <laughs> I gotta get out of here. I don't blame you. That would piss me off too, but. As far as Cam Thomas is concerned, I think the days of building around a shooting guard who's this wild and inarticulate on the court is over. But I don't know if you can do it. You need a point guard that's a little bit like that. If you told me 
that Cam Thomas was able to run the point in a Steph Curry-like fashion and still have that but, layer of artistry, it's a little bit different. But Cam Thomas just has that natural knack for scoring that almost few have. Like He's almost like KD on the level of where... He has that I, kind of I, shot creativity why? where it's just natural born. Like it just it his basketball sense, his scoring sense, it, it just you know that's in his blood. You know it, it would, and he you know think about this. He's twenty two years old. The guy was born in two thousand one, and he's got the ability to score in the NBA with this level of creativity now. Think about three four years down the line. This is someone who you can build around in my eyes. Extend him, pay him, pay him. I, I don't know. I think it's. I need to like burn Sage in here after you guys put him in the same sentence as Curry and then. Durant. No, no, no. I didn't. Put, I didn't say he was hell. like Curry. I, just, I said if he was more like Curry, I'd be comfortable yeah, building. Um, He's not like Curry. Yeah. The, the fact that the sentence <laughs> existed where their names were both in it, it's just it can't. That's a typical Nets fan Not sentence for if you're on scoring. Twitter. It can't happen. It can't happen. Wait, Ask Kevin Durant. He'll, he'll say the same thing. Cam yeah. Thomas has that natural born yeah, scoring Yeah, I'm sure ability. he does, but you can't. <laughs> anyway, it's a guards league right so, now. So our, our New York the, basketball segment is taken. Fox, <laughs> Fox, Brunson, Gilgis, Alexander, Curry. Point guards run the league right now. Um, Chet Holmgren might be an all-star like player like this season. The Thunder have by far the number one defense. Um, but Colin, some other happenings out west. I was going to go out west because Mark Cuban has sold his stake in the Mavericks franchise for three point five billion dollars. So you heard it here, Mark Cuban, no longer the primary owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He'll still be around, involved in basketball operations. Guys, this is a bombshell. All things considered, it's rare that a franchise goes up for sale. It's even more rare that a deal gets done especially with a franchise like the Mavericks that had what seemed to be a firm ownership kind of contingent in Mark Cuban. Miles, I was surprised when I first saw this news. I, To be honest, I wasn't all that surprised simply because Mark Cuban has been so vocal about the direction of the TV contracts. He thinks that, or he made it very obvious that he thinks what's going on with the NBA TV money is some sort of bubble and that there's no reliable income from the streaming services and his idea was better get out now. And obviously, you know, you, you think about Mark Cuban, he's seen as this business sharp, right? That he's going to, that he has the an, an edge or an angle that nobody else can see. He's shark because. Well, it, the, sharp and shark, true. Shark. shark. <laughs> but I think it, it, no. it is. He's not even on the show anymore. You saw that? It is interesting that he's sticking around with basketball operations. I mean, I think it's a pretty juicy deal. I think he bought in at like two hundred fifty million, cashed out at three point five billion, and he gets to retain basketball operations. I mean, anyone in the right mind would make this deal. It's just, it is interesting that you know he's not bought in on the on the future of the NBA from a financial standpoint, and for someone that's seen as this know-it-all character, I don't know if it's a it's it's a great sign. I think when you think about the direction of the the NBA contracts, it's kind of shocking. You have people making 40 mil a year, and you're thinking, well, where does that money come from? It has to come from the guaranteed TV contracts. And then if Mark Cuban is under the impression that that's not going to be there forever, our whole contract structure of guys getting 300, guys like Jalen Brown getting 330 million is going to be out the window. So I do think it is a, it's a little bit worrisome. And I think the only thing it points to in my mind is the possibility of this NBA TV contract slash you know, player contract hitting 35 mil a year is the normal 40 mil a year for a normal superstar being some sort of bubble at the end of the day. I I think 
it's not even like a tinfoil hat thing because like the rumors have come out right but like in 2021 mark cuban bought a town like he bought a whole town like mm-hmm. he just bought every property in the like he he bought a town um and if you know what steve cohen's doing will it's point all that yeah. soccer stadiums ha- gonna sports be there apartments. and now cohen wants to do apartments and the sports book and i think that's the plan the other dot to connect you know i'm like it's always sunny here with the whatever um but like jerry world that's a thing it's a industrial complex jerry world i i think it's the death star I in think, texas I, yeah i think mark wants mark world you know i think there's maybe something there that's that's my so my, you, my theory i like that theory better than the entire he's running for president theory no, he's not running for president there's people saying it. i don't agree with it. i like your theory a lot better uh, he's, quite he, frankly. he wants to just like make his own disney world to retire away to you he's know so wait but why money. would he have to get away from the nba to do that because he doesn't care anymore he wants to just build disney world and retire away in it yeah he's so rich imagine how bored he is every day it must be nice to be able to buy a town just as a separate i just feel like he could do both he's probably so bored every day being like (laughs) oh luca oh is that why you got Kyrie to spice things up, yeah. make it a little yeah. interesting? Maybe, man. I, I think I think that was a desperation move, and I don't think he really cared about you know. Like I just I think he doesn't care. I, I think he's rich and jaded, and he's he he got. I out, think it points to he got out of Shark Tank. He's done with that. He's yeah. done. He's done with the Mavericks, to, except for like not being done with the Mavericks or whatever. But like, dude, if he uh, believed in the future the way he once did, he wouldn't have made this move. I think that's the simple truth. Is that something shifted in his mind? He doesn't believe. Dude, the he was doing national TV appearances when they traded for Porzingis, apologizing to Nick fans for fleecing them. Okay, like where did that go, bud? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is—he was so into the Mavericks back yeah. then when he thought Porzingis was the best thing since white bread, and and I, I just—I don't know, man. <laughs> he's bored. I guess he's had it with the whole NBA thing, you know. Doesn't want to win a Larry O'Brien again. You guys, he used to it. be like a famous—he he was an infamous owner in like the early two thousands. Like, but we weren't born yet when this guy was like. The, the Darth Vader for Kings fans, you know? See, so but you guys are both getting confused in my eyes because even if he's hella bored, even if he's super bored, if he feels like it's a good financial investment with guaranteed TV money coming in, he's going to stay there. He does, Something must have shifted from a business standpoint. No matter how bored you get, you don't give up an NBA franchise unless you feel like it's a smart business decision. This was a good cash-out time in his mind, not for just by accident or by boredom. Well, also with... If what Chris says is true and that he's trying to build this kind of sports book, resort, casino, blah, 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 village type deal, mm-hmm. is there something in the fine print that he can't do that under the NBA yeah. family? Like, I'm sure he has lawyers consulting him. Maybe it's something like Couldn't that. Couldn't be sports where, books if he's trying to get into that. Which world. could have been part yeah, of the issue. Totally. Because then you could package tickets and you're mm-hmm. really getting into the mud with TV deals and things like that. I'm not sure if the NBA is going to kind of welcome that. Yeah. With open arms entirely, at least not yet. Yeah. I think in the next 10 years, that's probably going to change. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I'm sure Adam Silver and some of the NBA's old guard that might still exist there is very much in the camp of, oh, let's keep betting as far away as possible. While there's going to be others that are like, let's embrace it. And I think right now the NBA is kind of caught in the middle. Perhaps Cuban wanted to get out while he could uh, and embrace the next stages of both his career and where sports books and athletics ultimately will meet. 
And an interesting element in that conversation is what just happened with Maverick Carter. And you set me up perfectly there. <laughs> Recently reported that Maverick Carter, the manager for Los Angeles Lakers star LeBron James and a business partner of his, told federal agents in 2021 that he had bet on NBA games through an illegal bookmaker, all reported by the Washington Post. I read this, and my first thought was how strange the report sounded. Because it's not as if you don't assume that these guys have some side deals going on, some business dealings that we're not privy to. I just didn't think it would be on NBA games. Because Maverick Carter's not an agent, he's a manager, so he's not really under the NBA rules where this would be not kosher. So he's allowed to do this. On it's paper. legal. But given his relationship with LeBron James, that's where it gets a little bit strange because it's clear that these guys are close. They go back a long way. Maverick Carter, also from Akron, Ohio. So they're the guys from the same neighborhood that had to come up together. I just think that there's a layer to this that no one's paying attention to. And that is, even if LeBron didn't know that he's betting on NBA games, which I find very hard to believe because... LeBron told the media, oh, no, no, I just found out about this. Mm -hmm. Typically, people that, you know, kind of dip their toe into the sports betting world, myself included, want you to know, oh, no, I think this. I like the spread here. It's just a natural human thing. There's nothing sadistic about it. Mm -hmm. It's just where the culture is. It's a topic of conversation. Like, I like the Yankees' money line tonight. I like the Dodgers' money line tonight. I like the Knicks to cover their spread, things mm -hmm. like that. So I just find it very hard to believe that there was not one time that Maverick looked at LeBron and went, hey, I think the Kings will do X, Y, Z, or the Knicks will do X, Y, Z, or even just gave him, or LeBron gave Maverick a little bit of insight that so-and-so is struggling over here. The whole thing just reeks of something fishy. We don't know anything really yet, but it's worth looking into, Chris. Yeah, I, I think that, like, ESPN bet ties into this for me. <laughs> Um, for me, this is all connected, right? Because, like, we are – the Houston Rockets the other day tweeted, like, does Jalen Green make over or under three and a half threes or something, mm -hmm. like sponsored by DraftKings. Mm -hmm. Sports betting isn't legal in Texas. What are we doing here? That's what is this? Yeah. What the heck are we doing here, guys? Like, I, they have taken the curtain – and lit it ablaze like there's they, they didn't even pull back the curtain they just set it all on fire they're like screw it this is all just happening now everyone's just doing this all and then we're just going to make money off it like this is not the way to do this when things that have not been legal are legalized there are supposed to be ethical ways to go about their legalization um and this is not a political podcast right but like what are we doing this is so shams works for fanduel and Woj works for ESPN, which has an exclusive deal with Caesars and DraftKings, and now has ESPN bet their own sports book. This is too much, guys. There's a, Remember what happened with the odds for the number two overall pick? Because Woj was yes. like, it's Miller, and then Shams was like, actually, it's Scoot. And then everyone went on FanDuel and bet Scoot, and then it was Miller? <laughs> like, yep. I don't know. I don't know. Not great. I think the couple of things stand out about the Maverick Carter thing is, first of all, it's an offshore book. You know, offshore 
bookies are very common for, you know, I'm sure he's a California resident. It's like it's very commonplace for people in California to use offshore books because it's an illegal state. <laughs> I just think the whole thing is so whacked out that we're having this conversation on an and NBA I think, podcast, too. And I think so the big thing is that he's not trying to do anything unkosher. I think that's more of a convenience thing for Maverick Carter. I agree. The other aspect is that Maverick Carter has to have inside information because of his connections. You think about the the refing dispute with, um, you know, the the sour ref was named Tim Donahue. Tim Donahue, yeah. Um, you know, his argument was that I'm not necessarily, you know, betting on anything that changed. I didn't change my behavior based on the bets. It was that I knew how we were going to call the game. Same thing goes for Maverick Carter. He might know how a game might be going to be played or how, you know, from a strategy standpoint, things like that. You know, in the case of Tim, it was this is what's going to be called tonight if we're going to call the the crossover the the turnover on um ai something like that you know if something like that could totally have existed with lebron could be very sour am i wrong to think that load management plays a part in this too where you got to tell me that if he bet on the lakers at a given time and lebron was sitting a certain game is maverick not going to bet on the other team when lebron james is out and can't help a lakers unit that quite frankly needs him to win, to win basketball games on a night-in, night-out basis. And then the whole phrase, I don't recall betting on any Lakers games coming up in the report. I've got to find pretty hilarious. <laughs> it's just, I mean, is I'm all for sports betting. I don't want to come off as an old head at all. But there needs to be a better separation of church and state, or we're all going to have to get really cool really fast about, yeah, it's all kind of interconnected. And I think if you do that, then you start getting into those holier-than-thou conversations that no one really wants to have because there's a history of gambling infiltrating sports in a way that's not too kind. Look at Major League Baseball totally. is the perfect example. You don't want that type of situation. College basketball as well? I don't think we'll reach that type of situation because now it's so interconnected where there's too much going on for the players themselves to really have a stake one way or another with shoe deals and things like that. Like, if I'm a young player... Wouldn't I much rather get a shoe deal or play really well, work on my brand instead of sacrificing my game for the sake of bets, things like that? It's just such a murky territory, Chris. There's not one really proper way to analyze it yet, especially when it comes to this story, because there's just so much we don't really know. Yeah, I mean, no, we're in an age where things are developing and, and being created at such a rapid rate that it's kind of hard to have like rules and guidelines that, that match up with them. But that's what the NBA needs to do. They just need to focus on being ethical and sit down and create a set of like, here's how we're going to go about this um, and make it really clear and really straightforward. You know, Josh Hart is tweeting about his NFL parlays like every day and that's totally fine because it's NFL. Right. But like, um, that's, That's really interesting. Also, actually. the reality of sports right now is that Josh Hart last night tweeted three of three on parlays today and then tagged a capper who he pays a monthly fee to to get parlays from. See, the whole thing is for college athletes, obviously, the rule in the NCAA is you can't even bet on anything, even blackjack, because then it makes you susceptible if you were to go down to a book. The book obviously has leverage on you. If you know That's what happened with Headache Smith. He owed $10,000 at Arizona State, started throwing games at Arizona State because that was the only way he could pay back his 10000 to his bookie. So is Josh Hart. I mean, obviously, the guy's a millionaire, but if he were to lose his parlays... You know, you understand the line of thinking where 
athletes shouldn't yes. bet on anything because it makes you vulnerable to books. All very interesting. I think it's just the that tweet to me was like, this is the state of things right now. This is a perfect microcosm of the state of things right now. Legislation, guidelines, rules, league, NBA, PA agreements, everything has to line up with that. Um, you've been listening to the the law the law edition of pick and pod let's get into the Knicks Raptors lawsuit next a special guest law professor Miles Grossman <laughs> here to talk about the nitty gritty of the I mean we're really getting into the weeds today fellas but a lot of reasons for it it's been a heavier episode of pick and pod just some notes before we do wrap things up here the in season tournament will begin this upcoming Monday on the west you have the one seated Lakers taking on the four seated Suns the two seated Kings taking on the three seated Pelicans over in the east the Bucks have the one seed they'll be taking on those New York Knicks they have the four seed and it'll be the number two ranked Pacers taking on the three seated Celtics that's going to do it for this edition of pick and pod guys it has been a blast until next time I'm Colin Lochran saying so long. Pick and Pod is a production of WFU Esports.